1: This program is a paid commercial announcement from Jacob Media Partners and does not reflect the views of WPHT or its management. Today's program is pre recorded.
0: Introducing Pathways Consulting Group, a company that will align your IT needs with your business goals. Pathways is a full service ServiceNow partner. What does that mean? It's simple. Pathways will collaborate and design, develop, and deploy solutions for your company today that will define tomorrow. Pathways will provide world class enterprise service management solutions. Pathways Consulting Group. They listen, they care, they execute. Go to PathwaysCG.com. That's PathwaysCG.com. This is Women
1: to Watch. To rise above all of the noise and fulfill every last one of your dreams.
0: Women to Watch. Sharing the real stories of the most accomplished women in the world.
2: It is for those frightened children who want peace. It is for those voiceless children who want change
0: be inspired by women from across the globe true
1: philanthropy comes from living from the heart of yourself and giving what you have been given
0: who are encouraging more women to pursue their dreams
2: what i know to be true is that women were always meant to lead and by shining a light on those doing it well today My hope is that more women will find their own voice.
0: Now, here's the owner, founder, and host of Women To Watch, Sue Rocco.
2: Hello, everyone, and thank you so much for tuning in to another week of Women To Watch. It's always great to be back. And I'm going to say with confidence this week, I think we're finally seeing a light at the end of this long, dark tunnel. So I'm very grateful for that. Joining me in just a moment will be Janine Gelbart, And Janine is the co-founder and CEO of Indigo, uh, which is an AI company dedicated to providing return on leadership. Uh, Janine has a really interesting journey to share with us, and, and she'll be with me in just a moment. As always, be sure to stay with us during the breaks where you'll hear from our exclusive watch team of on-air contributors. And we continue to expand our watch team and always looking for more women to be a part of the show. So if you're interested and you'd like to learn more, feel free to email laura at womentowatch.net. That's Laura, L-A-U-R-A, at women, the number two, watch.net, N-E-T. And our lineup podcast and all news around the show can be found at womentowatch.net as well. So be sure to visit us there at our website. So now I am very honored and excited again to welcome to the show Janine Gelbart, the co-founder and CEO of Indigo. Janine, welcome to the show.
3: Thank you, Sue. I'm, I'm so excited to be speaking with you. I, I love what you do. Uh, and I think it's, it, it's just such a, an important voice um, that you're bringing. To, to oh everyone. I appreciate so, that.
2: Oh you're so welcome. You're so welcome. And um you know your career is is varied and impressive and I'm excited to to dive in and really share with the listeners exactly what indigo is all about, Um, but we're going to start with your background and let our listeners get to know more of who Janine is. Um, I think it's interesting that you were born in in South Africa, raised in Europe, and then ended up here in the United States in in Washington, D.C., and I wondered if you have any memory. I know you were little of your early years in South Africa, but do you have a memory, a kind of visual memory, uh, before you left there that you can share with us?
3: You know, I'm not sure if I have very clear memories of when I left. I definitely remember arriving in Rome in Italy, which is what was the first place we lived in Europe. Um, And I, I have vivid memories from Italy, but I don't have that many I mean, I, I remember, you know, a dog, a garden. These, these yeah. big kind of uh, memories, but I, I don't, I don't remember much before my move to to Europe.
2: Yeah, sometimes there's smells or foods, you know, that yes. that remind you of your your first place. Yeah. Um, What can you tell us about that community now? You know, um, I know that you left there, but South Africa, you know, um, there's certainly a lot happening there for women. Mm -hmm. And um, have you gone back? Do you go back to visit? I have not. uh, So I can't
3: speak with a lot of knowledge about the country. I I, I mean, and the strange thing is I do have the accent. So I I, I, I have a South African accent because i went to italy and we spoke italian and then i went to france and we spoke french and so the only people that i spoke english to were my family and i was an adult when i moved to america so the strange thing is i have a south african accent i was born there but i don't uh i have not experienced uh south South africa that much i mean obviously i feel an emotional tie in some way uh to the country and and um and i did go back Uh, When I was a very teenager, I went back growing up every year because my grandparents lived there. So I I do have those memories Um, and I I would say those memories were really, you know, when you're a child and you leave and then you go back to a country with apartheid and and systemic racism. it, It is. Profoundly shocking and yes profoundly, it, 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 it's uh, it's a lot to deal with. To to actually think, my gosh, how could I've been born in a place like that? Mm. And, and 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 thank God, you know, I did not grow up in a place like that. And, yeah. and 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 obviously, it's a completely different country now. But I do think that being born there shaped uh, definitely was an important part of shaping who I am and and my worldview.
2: Yeah. So tell me, what prompted the move? Um, the family moved to Italy. So my
3: my father is European, um, and all my grandparents are, are European. So uh, my dad just happened to my 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 father uh, is a child, was a child Holocaust survivor, um, and so he he grew up uh, post Holocaust in Europe. He grew up in Belgium. Um, and he studied at the Sorbonne in France for his post grad, but he happened to his, his parents uh, moved to South Africa when he was 18 years old. And obviously as a Holocaust survivor, the, his, his, his biggest thought was, I'm not letting my kids grow up in a, in a country with hatred and, and racism. And so as soon as he could get a job somewhere else, we left.
2: Okay. You know, I'm always curious when uh, a parent has gone through something like that, um, they either choose to share those stories and talk about that with their children, or they never do. What was it like in your home? Uh,
3: Never, Uh, until we were adults. So yeah, we we grew up um, where my dad very, very rarely spoke about it and my one surviving grandparent never, never spoke about it either, so yeah.
2: Yeah, um, let me let me jump ahead a little bit. Your education was in psychology, which gives you, you know, insights into human behavior and motivation. What led you down that path?
3: That's an interesting question, and, I, and I'm not sure if it was a mindful choice. Uh, I've always been interested in psychology, but I think that um, you know, having moved around a lot as a child, uh, I, became, I was I became a very shy, very reserved, shy little girl. So I remember, you know, arriving in Italy when I was six years old. Every, you know, different culture, different language, different school systems. And even though I went to the American school there, I, I definitely felt like an outsider. And I think that was the beginning of really kind of feeling uh, as like a visitor everywhere that I that I lived. Um, and so I, I think that when you're shy and reserved, um, you do observe other people more, right? Because yes. you're not yes. talking that much, so you're doing a lot of listening. Yes. But I also think that, you know, growing up in, 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 in having been born in South Africa, the you know, child of a Holocaust survivor, I think thinking about what drives people, right? What drives leaders uh, to do good, to do bad? Uh, why do people Make certain choices, and those were always of of, uh, really great interest to me. The why, the big question of why.
2: Yeah, and it's so interesting when you talk about the you know the shy person being the observer, which is you know listening and observing is an incredible skill, especially today where people have a lot to say, right? And I think those people are the ones that are you know watching other humans and how they interact and what they do, and that turns out to be a really incredible skill as a leader, uh, especially an entrepreneur, don't you think? I
3: do. I, I do. And, and,
2: and I'm not that shy anymore. So, you know, our team may say, oh, my God, she never shuts up. But, but I think that
3: definitely <laughs> led, led, led to a certain part of my thought But, yeah.
2: <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Listen, we're going to go into our first break. Stay with us. And we'll be back with Janine Gelbart, the co-founder and CEO of Indigo. We'll be right back.
0: Now, the women to watch Health Watch. For Health Watch, I'm Dr. Marianne Ritchie. My early training included three years in New York
4: City at Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center when a new disease was erasing the lives of healthy young people. Before the virus was identified, HIV was known as GRID, Gay-Related Infectious Diseases. People were terrified. It was the new bubonic plague. With many people working together, we've made great progress in preventing, detecting, and treating this heartbreaking condition. More than three decades later, we're faced with COVID. Never in my wildest imagination did I think a virus could cause such massive crippling events. This morning on Your Radio Doctor, our guest was Dr. Paul Offit, world-renowned expert in virology and immunology with years of experience in vaccine therapy. In fact, he's the co-creator of the rotavirus vaccine given universally to infants. Herd immunity. If enough people achieve immunity, either from the vaccine or after a COVID infection, the virus will run out of people to infect. That's why he's urging people to get the vaccine. COVID spreads during winter. Good chance it will revisit us later this year. If 80% of the population achieve immunity, we'll probably see a bump in cases. If we don't reach 80%, we're likely to have another surge. As we see variants of COVID from the UK, South Africa, and Brazil, and the rampant spread in India, I asked, will variants keep us from getting herd immunity? He believes the current vaccines are effective enough to protect from severe illness that leads to hospitalization and death. Vaccine experts, the CDC and FDA are still collecting data to determine if and when we will need boosters. We've learned that natural immunity after COVID infection is better than immunity from the vaccine. So when new CDC guidelines say you don't need a mask outside, Dr. Offit clarified you can skip the mask inside if you have immunity from the vaccine or COVID infection and you're mixing with others who are also immune. Listen to the entire show on yourradiodoctor.net and divas, get the vaccine.
0: Now, the women to watch. Tech Watch.
1: Hi, I'm Mary Mansa from Pathways Consulting Group. I don't know about you, but I was not always good with finances. Even today, I still hesitate in making financial decisions. Let's face it. For some, talking about and dealing with finances can be a difficult topic. So I probably was not the best person to help my children with financial decisions. And I know I could have used a lot more help in that department. I'm sure that many of you would agree that to instill good decision-making processes in children, we have to do this when they're very young. Most children start to recognize the concept of money by age five or six. Even my two-year old Grandson knows the difference between a penny and a quarter. So, getting them started at a young age is not a very difficult task with so much access to information on this topic online and with so many new apps that are geared toward teaching children about spending and saving. There's lots of help for us as adults to better educate children about finances. As I often do when creating a segment, I started with Google and found so much information on this topic. On LinkedIn's In Learning, I found a segment by Winnie Sun, a longtime financial advisor and money personality. Her tutorial is about teaching kids about finance. I love this segment. Winnie just has a way of making you feel comfortable and motivated to take the first steps in working with children on finances. It's definitely worth listening to. Additionally, during my search, I found an article on parentology.com by Lauren Wellbank called Best Apps That Teach Kids Personal Finance. Depending on what your goal is, there could be an app for you and your children like Thrive and Shine, a free and fun mobile game about money where kids learn by making thousands of financial decisions just like they would in real life. Greenlight is a debit card for kids where they learn to manage real money. And FamZoo that can provide a prepaid card tied to their their FamZoo account that teaches them about earning and spending money. Talking about finances can be a difficult topic to approach, but with so much information at our fingertips, it's gotten much easier. To hear more on this topic, email me at mary at pathwayscg.com. This is Women to
0: Watch with Sue Rocco. Talk Radio 1210 WPHT
2: welcome back. I'm joined today by Janine Gelbart, co-founder and CEO of Indigo. And um, Janine, I wondered if you could talk a little bit about what it was like to go to school in Johannesburg and, and how it's different from universities here in the U.S. Um,
3: it's Well, First of all, most people don't don't live On campus, so I don't. There's no. You don't have that campus experience. So, uh, you know, I was working. uh, I would sometimes go to college. (laughs) I wasn't the best. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes you'd show up in class. (laughs) (laughs) There were professors that had no idea that I was in their class. I was always interested in work. More interested in working. Um, So yeah, my. I I can't. I, I don't. I don't think I had a very strong college experience in the sense that you know, I would go to a few classes a day or sometimes a few classes a week. And then I I was just working and living my life very different. I have two daughters and very, very different to the college experience that I saw them have, which I think is amazing. The ability to really form these lifelong bonds and experience a campus life and, just be a college student, which I, I just didn't experience. Yeah. I'm not saying no one does in South Africa, but when I grew up, you know, you lived in you lived in Johannesburg, you went to, you know, to that college, and, and I also was a foreigner there because I had grown up, I had gone from to Paris, and so I landed up going back to South Africa for university because I was moving around so much that I couldn't go to college in French in France, I didn't do the French baccalaureate. So it, it was just a, a happenstance. And I, and I actually landed up only staying there for a year and a half, and then going back to Paris, and finishing um, by correspondence with the University of South Africa. So.
2: You know, you have lived in so many places, would you say that that has given you the ability to um, connect with people from all different backgrounds? Has that helped you? Hundred percent. I, I
3: absolutely feel like a citizen of the world. Like my, my, our team is from a lot of different places. My friends are from a lot of different places. And I, I very much feel like a citizen of the world.
2: Um, let's go to 1984 when you founded, um, help me if I'm pronouncing this right, Suffolk? Suffolk? Yeah. Right. Okay, which was a technology products company and sold in 1992, um, and that's when you moved to the U.S. So tell me how, how that launch came about. What, what was the opportunity um, that allowed you to do that, and then why did you come to the U.S.?
3: So I always joke that you know at, at Indigo we're focused on strategy, but I live my life very organically. So I, I'm not one of those people that plans ahead and has a list and checks it off. I'm much more of an opportunistic, impulsive, organic person. Um, and you know, I graduated college. Uh, I didn't have a specific plan of I absolutely want to do this or work here. And when I think back on my life, I definitely see that I was a serial entrepreneur, even as a little girl. You know, I would literally, you know, I was the one with the lemonade stand out front. I would ransack our house to, you know, have a yard sale and make money. So, you know, definitely, you know, had the entrepreneur gene in me. Um, mm-hmm. And even in college, I would I would just, you know, I was always either working or, or, or just doing different uh, ideas that I had in, in the business world. So, um, this opportunity um, presented itself. There was a there was a, and this is really going to date me, but there was a manufacturer of computer supplies that was looking for an agent in the French market, uh, and they contacted uh, my dad actually and said, "Do you know anyone?" And my dad said, "Oh yeah, I know someone." And there I was, you know, twenty two years old, <laughs> clueless, didn't even know what the computers, you know, what 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 these were. And he said, "Here, why don't you give this a try?" And I'm, I'm much more of a why not than a why when it comes to doing things so i thought well you know nothing Mm -hmm. better to do why not and so this is one of those strange things when you talk about starting in, in your parents uh garage well this was in paris and it was a basement you know what it was probably a this building hundreds and hundreds of years old and i landed up getting these cartons of computer supplies which i stored in my parents basement and just started um kind of doing market research and seeing if there was a market out there for this wow. and it turns out that that there was and it landed up Really, uh, you know, we landed up having a huge warehouse and delivery trucks and being the first company to deliver computer supplies overnight in the French market. We landed up getting the largest customer in Europe um, and, you know, having a sales team. And so it was it was a real adventure.
2: Wow. So what was your role when you left? You know, by the time that, that the company was sold and you left, what was your position?
3: I was still running the company. I had brought in uh, a couple of partners. Um it, uh, early on, so I, st- I started. This was not a venture backed company, so we never got external funding. Um, but I, I did land up bringing, after about a year and a half or two years, I landed up bringing uh, someone on as a partner who, who made a small investment in the company just to enable us to get more stock at that time. Um, and then Uh, My brother, who had just graduated from the London School of Economics, also joined when he graduated, and we landed up being business partners, and the three of us ran this business together and built this business together.
2: Wow, that's so nice. Uh, We'll have to talk about, sometimes it's easy working with family, sometimes it can be a little tricky. Um, We're going to go into our next break, and uh, stay with us for our watch team, and I'll be back with Janine Gelbart, the co-founder and CEO of Indigo. We'll be right back.
0: Now, the women to watch, Military Watch.
5: Hi, I'm Carol Egert, Senior Vice President of Military Affairs at Comcast NBC Universal. You know, as we recognize Asian American and Pacific Islander, or what we call AAPI Heritage Month, I'd like to recognize the 250,000 AAPI military veterans who've served in the United States Armed Forces. And one such veteran is making an incredible difference at our company. He cared for the wounded on the battlefields of Iraq and Afghanistan, and now oversees the enormous effort to keep thousands of our employees and millions of our customers safe throughout the COVID-19 pandemic. Dr. Jeff Tsang is a Taiwanese immigrant and former U.S. Army physician who serves as our corporate medical director at Comcast NBCUniversal. His parents raised Jeff and his brother to value hard work and to be humble. After the September 11th terrorist attack, Jeff joined the military to become an army physician and give back to the country that had given so much to his family. Throughout his military career, Jeff would deploy to Iraq and Afghanistan as a public health doctor and a flight surgeon. As the world began shutting down in response to COVID-19 pandemic, Jeff would draw on this military experience to help guide our company through this crisis. Jeff and his team provide medical expertise for our company-wide protocols, including daily safety checks, contact tracing, testing, and the company's vaccine response plan. This work is necessary to keep the company moving forward in delivering broadband services our customers count on. With incredibly diverse cultures, language, traditions, and experiences, Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders are an integral part of the fabric of our nation. Jeff is an amazing example of our AAPI community and veterans who've bravely served our country and continue serving others in our communities.
2: Hi, Sue Rocco here, host of Women to Watch. Are you a fan of the show? If so, be sure to sign up for our podcast at womentowatch.net so you never miss a show and can listen on your own time. That's women, the number two, watch.net, N-E-T.
0: Now, the
6: Women to Watch,
2: nonprofit
0: watch.
6: Good evening, Women To Watch listeners. I am Cheryl Mackey, lead of financial empowerment at United Way of Greater Philadelphia and Southern New Jersey. As many listeners may know, May is Asian American Pacific Islander Awareness Month. And to honor it, I want to highlight one of United Way's nonprofit partners, Penn Asian Senior Services. Penn Asian is a provider of linguistically attuned senior services for Asian and other limited English proficient older adults in southeastern Pennsylvania. Founded in 2004 by current CEO M.J. Che, the mission is to promote the well-being of Asian American seniors and other adults who are disadvantaged by their language and cultural barriers. Here are a few highlights of the work Penn Asian is doing in our area. Their home care department provides direct care services for more than 600 low-income seniors across the region in 19 languages. In 2020, they provided more than 1 million hours of care to support seniors During the pandemic, Penn's Vocational Institute provides home health aid training in six languages. Certified nursing assistance training and vocational English as a second language classes are offered to promote unemployed and underemployed individuals for careers in the healthcare industry. Over the past 15 years, they have trained more than 1,400 home health aides and certified nursing assistants. FinAsian's PACE Center assists low-income seniors in assessing the full range of public benefits with a focus on the PACE pharmaceutical benefits. The PACE benefit helps low-income seniors to afford their prescription medication. Over the past year, they have helped seniors access more than 650 public benefits to help them to maintain self-sufficiency and continue living independently in the community. Penn Asian is celebrating the reopening of two of their centers that due to the pandemic were closed, the Jubilee and Evergreen Centers. The Jubilee Center and adult daycare center provides a broad array of health, social, and cultural services that allows seniors to live independently in the community. It reopened May 17th. And the Evergreen Center, which is a community center that members can enjoy a fitness center and can take classes in yoga, dance therapy, ceramics, and more will celebrate their reopening on June 11th from 10 a.m. to noon at 6926 Old York Road, Philadelphia, and will be fully open June 15th. For more information on these centers or any of the services provided by Penn Asian Senior Services, you can contact contact them at www.passi.us or find them at Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Thanks for listening. I am Cheryl Mackie. Goodbye. Or I'm young. You're listening to
0: Women to Watch with Sue Rocco on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT.
2: Welcome back. If you're just tuning in, I'm joined by Janine Gelbart uh, this evening, co-founder and CEO of Indigo. Um, I'm going to try to say what it is in a very simple way, and, and Janine, you can correct me. Um, I would say it's it's an AI company dedicated to providing return on leadership using a system that integrates core purpose with individual and organizational priorities is that correct is that a, a, a nice way simple way to, to say what indigo is
3: yes I, I, it is I, we, what what indigo does is it takes abstract concepts such as strategy you know it's great when it's on a document, but how do you actually execute on strategy, specifically in a large organization, which is uh, who we've built this for? And how do you take something as theoretical as purpose and make sure that people are working with purpose and executing uh, using the Pareto principle on the 20% 20 of things that that create 80% of the value? So it enables leaders and managers in large organizations to focus clearly on the, 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 the few drivers of value at any given time and do it with connection to purpose. So that, and it brings metrics to a very murky um, area which is leadership execution.
2: So how did you um, realize there was a need for this? So that's a great question.
3: We, we, we were um, in the field of leadership and organizational strategy. Um, for a very long time, two decades, in the leadership consulting field. And we consulted across many industries, um, all sizes of organization, and we started to see patterns where, obviously, if you you rise to to a certain level in an organization, you're skilled, you're capable, you're ambitious, you want to do the right thing for the most part. Um, So we were were seeing very capable, very hardworking people, Either uh, with a real disconnect where there was trust broken or just a lack of alignment at, at every level and really, you know, very capable of articulating good strategy and a meaningful purpose, but things really broke down in the doing. And that's really, really where the rubber hits the road. And so we started coming up with our own proprietary processes to help leader get the right things done and get them done well and get them done in a way where they weren't burning themselves and their people out, where they were building trust, where they had transparency. And we were doing all of this um, low tech um, for a long time. And so we could only work with you know, a few people in an organization at a time. But then with the advent of SaaS and AI, we saw a real opportunity to, to make a much bigger impact and to help many more people. Because with technology now, we can help every manager at every level of a large organization to very quickly gain this clarity and align with people around them and work with transparency and focus on what matters and do it in an agile manner, which without technology would would have been impossible. So I would say the journey was really working with that problem for many years and then realizing that now we could really help at a different level and at a different scale
2: would you say, or ha- one of the things I've learned from interviewing, you know, the, the amount of women that I have in, in business is that one of the things I think that um, holds a company back from from success is is that lack of what you were talking about earlier in the show about why not. So to just move forward, rather than have lots of meetings and belabor you know an idea and not just move forward is that a common theme that you see yes
3: absolutely people can get mired in in theory and and just go around and around and around and i've always been of the belief that any action is better than no action But it's complicated when you're in a large organization there are so many things at stake so many stakeholders so many decision makers it's complex and our goal is to take this complexity and simplify it which is why we really have built all of this around the pareto principle because if you can very quickly determine what's important at any given time and then activate action uh, and unlock this, 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 this aligned um, action at scale, that's when you can really break through enormous barriers. So yes, we, we, we always say we're, we're kind of at war with theory. Even though our solution is built on a lot of research and we believe in research, um, research can only take you so far. You really need that last mile of action to get you anywhere.
2: I you know I always say that there's a balance somewhere between being completely methodical about something or being com- or being compulsive <laughs> and somewhere in between is the is the right place to be yes it's strategic agility and that's exactly what we enable because
3: Right now, if you if you listen to most leaders of large organizations, one of the things that they're trying to do is empower. They don't want top-down leadership anymore. They really want to empower leaders and managers at every level to be able to make decisions on the fly. The thing is, in order to, in order for people to make strategic decisions, you need a shared framework. What's important and what's not important right now. The, the days of having a three-year plan or even a one-year goal and just putting it up there and then executing against that have gone. The world changes too fast, so you need that, this agility. But if you really want to empower yes. managers at every level, you need to help them to know within what context to make decisions and to help them to think strategically. And, and, and so that—that's that, what this is all. That's what return on leadership is all about. It's empowering every level of manager to understand always what's important to them, to their business unit, to the organization, and why is it important? How does it connect to this a meaningful, inspiring purpose? And what does that purpose mean to them? And then to very quickly be able to act on that on an ongoing basis.
2: Right. Um, we're going to go into our last break. When we come back, I want to talk a little bit about, you know, how you've managed through COVID. What has been the most challenging for you and what you're most proud of? personally and professionally. Stay with us for our watch team, and we'll be back with Janine Gelbart, co-founder and CEO of Indigo.
0: Now the women to watch. Legal Watch.
2: This is Nicole Hittner for your legal
7: watch. The face of company mergers is changing. More target businesses than ever are under pressure to make a speedy transition to the public market after being acquired by SPACs or blank check companies. Typically when a SPAC buys a company, the plan is to take it public within two years and they have a pre-planned strategy to do that. But this fast lane to the stock exchange doesn't lessen the rigorous requirements of being a public company. Recall that on a previous Women's Watch segment, I described the new regulations regarding board diversity standards for public companies. There are also quarterly filings, annual filings, and typically more lawsuits filed against public companies. The blank check company boom is definitely drawing the attention of regulators who are keeping a close eye on compliance. There are, however, a few things companies can do to make the transition a little easier. Know that it will take some advanced planning. A company intending to go public needs to build a strong internal team, one that's familiar with the public company world of regulators and ongoing filings. The company should also have a firm plan in place regarding corporate governance and strong audited financial statements It's important to also be mindful that private placements are available to secure additional financing. There are a lot of balls in the air at once. As with any legal move, it's critical that you involve a legal team with experience. This is Nicole Hittner for your Legal Watch.
2: Coming up next is our Coach's Corner podcast, which is a shorter version of our weekly show and can be heard wherever you get your favorite podcast.
8: I'm BJ Gray with this week's Coach's Corner. A few years back, I was working with a director of HR and she came to a coaching session one day and said, BJ, I finally get it. I get what you're teaching me. And I have a new motto that I play over and over in my head when I'm dealing with really stressed out people at work. Quote, drop it like it's hot. Unquote. You might find that funny when HR whose job it is to deal with stressed out people wants to drop it, but it's not that. And it's not that for many of us leaders who deal with stressed out employees. Here's a great question to ask your employee when they are stressing about a problem or come to you with a complaint. What are you making it mean? You see so many of them put their own drama in it. They make it mean more than it is, or they can't stop spinning on things they can't control. The only one suffering when you don't drop the drama going on around you is you. And listen, accepting something that is wrong or upsetting is not not indifference, but it's just choosing to have control of what you can. And that is choosing how you want to react. Drop it like it's hot. Keep thinking about that. Thanks for listening to this edition of Coach's Corner. Connect with me directly on LinkedIn or at bjgray.com. Until next time, I'm BJ from Coach's Corner.
0: Now more of Women to Watch with Sue Rocco on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT.
2: Welcome back. I'm having such a great conversation with Janine Gelbart, the co-founder and CEO of Indigo. And one of the things, Janine, it's always important to me on this show, is that my guests talk a little bit about something that they've overcome, a, a personal challenge or a profess- professional challenge um, that they're proud of. Because I think, you know, ultimately, there are, um, what we're trying to show is that women who are running large companies are still human. <laughs> And is there something that comes to mind for you that, that you feel proud of when you look back over your your life and your career?
3: Um, I guess, it's a, it's a hard question. And it's a I big
2: question, I know. It's
3: a big question, Yeah, I'm, I'm probably gonna think of a really great answer after the interview, but if I think about, um, well, the thing I'm most proud of, number one always, is, is my kids. I mean. It, you know, being a mother has always—it's always been. It's, I've always wanted to be one since I was a little girl, uh, and being—I so would—I would say that that, that that is my number one uh, source of, of joy and pride. As a businesswoman, um, I would say that um, probably diving into new things without too much concern. I have started, you know several different businesses, all in different fields, and, and not knowing much about them before I started. So I haven't, got, so, I, 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 so talking about the ruminating and, and not taking action, I would say that, you know, I'm, I'm one that dives in head first and learns and, and, and will always learn and will be a lifelong learner. And so I, I think just for believing believing in, in, in my dreams and taking action toward those. Yeah.
2: That's that's such a fine example, and you know I would imagine that the the moving around that you've done um, may have contributed to that. You've been described as being candid, sincere, insightful, and believing in simplicity and action. Um, I love that especially because I'm quite the minimalist, and <laughs> less is always more in my world. Um, those traits to me point to a confidence, and I wonder where that. Developed in you.
3: Yeah, um, <laughs> I, I would say, definitely, uh, my dad, despite uh, having really, you know, had an incredibly adverse childhood, really had an immense amount of optimism, uh, believing that anything was possible. So I think that I grew up surrounded by the really, the, you know, j- just thinking anything is possible, and I really do believe. That. And if it's not, at least you give your all. You, if you work with passion and dedication and true purpose, give your all. Um, maybe, maybe what you thought wasn't possible, but something else wonderful will happen out of that. So I don't know if it's confidence as much as passion and the optimism and the belief that everyone can change the world in their own humble way if, if they really try.
2: And tell me real quickly about, you have daughters, two daughters, and what do you hope for them um, when we look at the world today?
3: I I do believe that strong women and all women will change the world. And I'm so happy that they're growing up in a different era than than I did, where this is a real conversation and where they feel they are both strong women, that that they've both just started their careers and I want them to know that they can, they can achieve anything um, they set their minds to. And I know, and, and I believe that they, they're perfectly capable and also that you don't have to put yourself in a box. Doesn't mean because, you know, I, I hate boxes. I hate people saying, oh, I am this, or I did that, therefore, no, there are no boxes. There are boundless possibilities for every human being.
2: I love that. I really do. It's a great way to end the show because at the end of the day, ultimately what we want little girls to know is that they should not be looking to um, do what others tell them they should be doing, right? They should be listening to their own inner voice. Exactly. So yeah, I love that. Janine, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy day to be on the show. I loved having you. Thank you. This was such a wonderful conversation, really. Thank
3: you so much for having
2: me. That's it, everyone, for another week of Women to Watch. Thank you so much for tuning in. And mark your calendars for next week when I'm joined by Dana Perino, former press secretary uh, for George W. Bush, Fox News contributor and author of a new book called Everything Will Be OK. Have a great week, everyone.
8: Thanks for listening to Women to Watch with Suraco, a Jacob Media production. If you're interested in learning more about the power of the radio hour, contact Joe Kraus at
1: 267-261-3428. This program is a paid commercial announcement and does not reflect the views of WPHD or its management. Today's program has been pre-recorded.